Welcome to Pixel Pizza. Did she say pizza? Your ultimate source for chiptunes, video game talk, and pepperoni. Delivered to you from Los Angeles and into the digital cyberspace of the 2020s. Pizza power! That's right, when super giant pizza. I want a large, thick crust with double cheese, ham, pepperoni. Hey, where's my pizza? Pizza time. Welcome back to the Pixel Pizza Podcast, listeners. You just heard the track Okers from our Chiptune Artist of the Week, Vim. And now we are here with our guest for the week and our interview portion of the show. We are speaking with a very talented 2D, 3D game artist. Her works include Super Crush KO, Celeste, Mortician's Tale, and Nobody Saves the World. She is an honoree of Forbes 30 Under 30 and gaming. This is Gabby D'Arienzo. How are you doing, Gabby? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we'd like to get started here by asking, when in your life did you know you wanted to work in video games? Oh my God, I feel like that's like a multi-part question. <laughs> okay, let's me. go through all of it. <laughs> um, okay, so when I was a kid, um, I played I played Majora's Mask for the first time. Oh, I was like I was like ten years old. That was like the game. That was the game that was like, oh, I am obsessed with this. Um, it's it's beyond entertainment. This is like mm. I wanted to know about the design. I made notes about everybody's schedules throughout the day. I was obsessed with the environment art and the art. Like I just I would draw um fan art of the game all the time, including my own characters. I yeah. um wrote down I had like a little notebook, my my own bomber's notebook, and I mm -hmm. wrote down notes about everything. I was just obsessed with Majora's mask. And I think as I I remember, you know, being a kid and being like, I'm going to be a video game artist. I'm going to be a video game artist. And then as you get older, I feel like, um, at least for me, um, I was like, no, I, I have to be more realistic and look for a job that I can do. And I just, I, for some reason, I felt like video games were like video game art was so unattainable. Like I just didn't think it was like a real job for some reason. And um I ended up studying graphic design in school, um, which I also love, and um, ended up kind of creating a very video game heavy graphic design portfolio just because, you know, it, they would be like, make a poster for something. And I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to make a video game for a post or a, a poster for a video game. Um, and so because of that, my portfolio was very video game themed. And uh, when I graduated, professor of mine, um, I guess, was contacted by an old student of hers looking for recommendations for a graphic design junior. And she recommended me because um, they worked at like a video game studio and they were looking for someone who had interest in video games. And she knew that I did. And so that's how I got my first job in games. And it was like on the, the marketing team of a now defunct mobile studio. And so that's kind of how that like literally up until I got that recommendation I was like 
I just didn't think working in video games was a thing, like I, oh. I attainable for me with my skills. And so that, yeah, that's like the two part, the, the, um, the 10 year old being inspired to make games. And then like the 20, 21 year old um, being like, oh my God, I can actually <laughs> work in games. And then I think there's like a third part somewhere in there, maybe shortly after that, where um, you know, I'd been working at that studio for a bit. They moved me over to the game side. So I actually was working on the games we were making, but um, I played The Path by Tale of Tale Games. Um, and that was like the first indie game I played where I was like, oh, like I could make something like this. Like mm -hmm. it was very weird and artsy and um, very feminine and kind of queer and I remember being like, oh, like I want to make games like this. And so I think that's kind of the game that inspired me to learn more about making my own games and like more about the indie scene and like start making friends on the internet. And that's great. I haven't I haven't heard of that one. I know the path list, but the path. Yeah. It's I don't know if it holds up very well. Oh. <laughs> it's definitely like one of the first walking sims. Okay. And um, I remember the controls being a little frustrating, but it's about um, it's basically like a modern day retelling of Little Red Riding Hood. But instead oh. of it being one little girl, it's like, I think like six or seven. And they're all sisters and they're all spread out over different ages. And um, as you play each of the sisters, you encounter you know, what the quote unquote wolf is for them oh. um, at different ages. So, you know, um, the youngest girl is like six or something and hers is like a literal wolf, you know, like a fable. And then the oldest one's 18. And so her wolf is like a man trying to teach her piano. And it's supposed to be representative of like, you know, they don't have a mother and she's the one that's been parenting her siblings and she mm. wants, she has passions to learn piano but she also um, has responsibilities. Like it's very, <laughs> it's very, um, very interesting. And I think for me, I love like weird, weird little artsy games like that. And um, yeah, I recommend it. Um, I don't, I probably Steam. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Also uh, on your first note, you were a much smarter kid than I was because <laughs> when Majora's Mask came out, I was just very confused. It took me until I was an adult to understand how you're supposed to get through that game. That's understandable. That's it's a very, it's a very weird yeah. Zelda game for sure. <laughs> and so what was uh, your first like full game project then? Oh, um... I guess the first game I did art for was, what was it? Oh my God, it was so long ago. Um, it was a mobile game called Fashion Star Boutique or Fashion Star Designer. One of those two. It was like a mobile game where you make clothing for like mannequins and mm -hmm. um, had a really, it was pretty popular uh, back then. But yeah, I, I did a bunch of, so what happened was um, on the marketing team, I was doing a lot of like, whatever, graphic design related stuff. So, you know, posters and printables for exhibitions, but also like social media images, but also web design. And so I was doing like the website stuff for for the company. And I guess um, a lot of that translated specifically to doing UI. And so 
when they needed a new UI designer, instead of hiring somebody externally, they gave me a chance and they moved me over to do um, UI for the project. And then, um, yeah, I guess like as I got really comfortable with, we were using Unity at the time. Um, I was, well, I think the only artist that was interested in learning it and like implementing things myself and like doing a bit of code. And so they gave me a lot more opportunities because of that. And so I ended up doing a lot of like tech art and then actual art. And, but yeah, I think that was the first game I worked on and that was mostly UI. And I don't think it's even playable. Like that company doesn't exist anymore. So mm -hmm. I don't think that game's even playable, but yeah. Um, and I was never really into mobile games, like even when I worked at that company. Um, and I think working at that, I, I'm very, very grateful for that studio and the people I worked with for giving me a chance and, you know, teaching me a whole bunch of stuff that ended up being very important for me to get um, future work after that, especially in indie games. But um, I was never super interested in working on like free to play mobile games. Like that is a very specific type of game. <laughs> sure. And um didn't love working on that. And so, yeah, after that, um, after being there for a couple of years, I ended up leaving to pursue a, a job as like a game artist in indie games specifically. And that's where I've been ever since. I really like that space and the kind of games we make a lot more <laughs> than fashion star designer or whatever, whatever the first game was called. Sure. Would you say there's a lot of overlap between like doing art for marketing and UI because I imagine there's they're both very much about getting the viewer to sort of immediately understand what something's about yeah yeah um for sure I feel like um if you go to school for illustration often you end up uh, like people that are doing 2d art in games probably studied illustration in school and people who do UI in games, probably study graphic design at school. Like it's less about like creating picturesque images and more about um, making things that attract the attention and are like very clear um, hierarchies of information and symbols that are easy to parse, but also unique to the thing you're working on. And yeah, it's very nerdy. I think a lot of people <laughs> think UI is very boring. <laughs> um, I still do UI um, today. Like I... Um, my job is, I think my job is senior game artist officially. And most of what I do is environment art. And um, I still do a little bit of um, marketing art, but I also do a little bit of UI too. So it's like, yeah. I, I can't escape it. That, that graphic <laughs> design background, <laughs> I'm still doing it today. Yeah. When did the Mortician's Tale come along? Okay. So that was um, shortly after I left that mobile studio, I started working as a freelance artist in indie games. And I, this is like end of 2014, I um, started reading this book called uh, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes by Caitlin Doughty, who is a LA-based mortician. Mm -hmm. And it's like a semi-autobiographical semi book about her experience working as a mortician in LA, but also talking about like the Western death industry. And it's really good book. Highly recommend it if that's a topic that you're interested in. And um, really poignant, really funny, um, very honest um, without kind of like, like being gentle without 
pulling any punches. A very good book. And I was so inspired. And I started um, mocking up and prototyping a game that I called Mortuary Simulator. And it was really simple. Um, and I didn't really have any mechanics in it because I'm not that good of a programmer. And I just started putting screenshots on Twitter and um, people really resonated with it. And mm. I was like, I really want to make this. I like, I, I, this doesn't really exist right now. And I really want to make this, this game possible. And so um, very lucky. I live in Toronto, Canada and Canada and Toronto and Ontario, which is the province that Toronto is in. We have really, really good funding for video games specifically. That's great. Very, yes. Yeah, so lucky. And I applied for an arts grant to make a mortician's tale. It wasn't a ton of money. I think it was like $10,000 and um, I got it. And so I, um, my partner at the time and myself, um, he really, his dream was to start his own studio. He also worked in video games. And so we decided to start a studio together and release Mortician's Tale as our first game. I used that money to hire a writer and a sound designer and a musician to work with us. And um, yeah, it's not a very big game. It's very, very small, but you know, we were working on it part-time. So it took us like a year and a bit to work on it. And, you know, over that time you, I learned a lot um, about the industry and also a lot about myself and like my own kind of personal feelings around death and grief and mm. the intersection with video games. And um, yeah, we released it in 2017. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's been a long time. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was, um, it's my baby. It's my, my, uh, the first game I ever like created outside of uh, working for another company, you know? And yeah. Um, I think it's really rough now. Like when I look back on it, I'm like, oof, <laughs> you know, I could do better than that. But, uh, you know, and it it really resonated with a lot of people. And that was really cool to see is that like so many people were comfortable with the topic and also like curious about the topic. And um, I don't work with Laundry Bear anymore. That was the company I made for my ex-partner. Um, mm -hmm. I, I stopped working with them in like 2019 and split up with my partner at the time shortly after um like very amicably right and they're still doing stuff and I'm doing my stuff separately but um yeah I think that like I um Mortician's Tale is the kind of game I, I want to keep making like I really like those little short kind of weird video games about topics that people are not super comfortable with I feel like I'm drawn to that also as like a player of games um and in addition to that book you mentioned, what kind of research went into learning about the Western death industry? Lots of reading. Um, a lot of there's a lot of really awesome books about the subject matter. Um, but also, we ended up reaching out to like the my writer and I reached out to a couple of morticians, and they gave us some really really good feedback, um, uh, and that ended up informing a lot of the game. I think also like Googling a lot of stuff um, is surprisingly, people are surprisingly open and honest on the internet about things. Um, so it was also kind of weird though, because like, I feel like we're probably all on a watch list, <laughs> for, you know, Googling like pacemaker, how does it pay, how to take out a pacemaker. <laughs> and so, yeah, a lot of research, a lot of interviews, people were very gracious with their time and, um, and sharing some like very personal stuff with us. And I think also a lot of it too was, we wanted to make sure that we were 
sharing our own experiences. So, you know, um, at the time, no one had experienced like losing a child, for example. Mm. And so that's not in the game. Um, even though that is a thing that people deal with very frequently, it's, you know, but we didn't, we didn't have that experience ourselves. And so we didn't feel like it was right for us to explore that. Um, and so, yeah, it was a lot of research, but also a lot of like self-reflection and putting our own stuff into it, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. What would you say is the biggest thing you learned about yourself when you made that game? Good question. I think... I am more comfortable with my, like, with the topic than I thought. Like, I think that um, working on the game was a really good exercise in, like, self-reflection and um, realizing that not everybody is as comfortable with the subject matter as I am and kind of exploring that like hey why why am i okay with this and you know really digging into some history of mine and being like oh yes i remember this i remember this i remember you know um this like traumatic thing happening when i was a child and you know the ways that that kind of informed my death anxiety and then like the ways that i was able to kind of overcome that and i think that when you go through a tragic death especially at like a young age it kind mm. of I mean, not always, but I feel like um, kind of informs how you deal with these things in the future and kind of what your mindset is on those things. And so, um, yeah, being that was a, it was a really like self-reflective project for sure. And I think also I learned a lot of new things that also ended up being very helpful to me um, when I like lost people or since losing people since working on the game. I feel like there's been a lot of things that um really helpful in terms of like processing my grief or being able to make decisions because you're like okay I know what goes into a cremation mm -hmm. or a burial and you know what that person would want or not want and yeah it was just um big big old learning experience um both like practically and also just like self <laughs> self-learning wise I don't know what the right word is for that um internally yeah. Uh, it's, yeah <laughs> internal learning sure fumbling <laughs> uh, for words but anyway I guess also on the practical side you were managing a whole team uh, mm -hmm. how did you go about that I think that's probably the first team I've ever managed on a game truthfully um and you know I think it really helps that everyone I approached um was a person who I knew was already comfortable with the subject matter. So I, I, and you know, that was a discussion we talked about a lot uh, during the making of the game was just like checking in on people and making sure that it was never too much. Um, but knowing that, you know, my writer has her own experiences with losing people and in grief is a subject matter she's explored in her own projects or the sound designers, same thing with her and the musicians, same thing with them. And just like making sure that, you know, I think that when people are comfortable enough with the subject matter, then they're more willing to work on the project and not only work on the project, but also like put their own experiences into it. And so I think that really, that really helped. I, you know, I didn't have to do much managing for what it's worth. And I think also just um, having a clear direction of what we want for the game and saying like, 
you know, I want this game to be honest, but, you know, still a little sensitive because, you know, like we, that's a big reason why the game is so like colorful. It's very purple is because when you try to make things as realistic as possible, it's very uncomfortable. And, you know, we want to be honest, but also like not trigger people or like make people too uncomfortable. So kind of finding this balance and directing people towards that kind of North star of like, you know, there were certain sound effects that felt too gross to listen to. So it was like, okay, maybe like turn the dial toward more cartoony to make it more digestible mm-hmm. or um, certain topics you wanted to write about. So in the game, there's a, what part of the game is you have this like a uh, computer that you can interact with. And that's how you get a lot of the story about like what's going on in the funeral home and what's going on with the characters. There's also newsletters you can read about. And the newsletters just exist as like a way to kind of share information with people if they so choose to read those things. And in those newsletters, we wanted to include things that are very, you know, important to us. Um, The team is almost entirely made up of queer people, myself included. And it was really important for us to talk about things like, you know, a lot of trans people get misgendered after death Mm. and you know people don't know that that's a thing and so making sure that we talk about that and um yeah i don't know just just kind of having this north star of honesty um while also making the game a little bit approachable for people who might be uncomfortable i think really helps you manage the people on your team when you have that kind of direction Yeah, I can definitely, I mean, just speaking for myself, and it sounds like for a lot of the audience that maybe we're going for is that, you know, certainly death is a subject that I feel like I want to have a clearer perspective on Mm -hmm. and understand better, but it can be so triggering. And like when I hear somebody's died, I just... I sort of close myself off to asking questions or delving into it. And I just want to like grieve on my own and I just withdraw. I think that's understandable. I think that's like a very natural inclination to have, you know. And um, I think especially being part of the queer community, you know, so much of our history is like drenched in that, you know, there's a whole generation of people especially like queer men that don't exist because of the AIDS crisis. And Mm -hmm. I think that is a very triggering topic for a lot of queer people. Um, And I think it's understandable that everybody has their own ways of dealing with things. And I think kind of secluding, and I mean, I wouldn't want to use the word secluding, but like dealing with things privately, you know, I think is a big thing that a lot of people do. And if that's, that's the way that, you know, if that's the way that you work best, then there's nothing wrong with it. And, um, you know, some people find comfort in community and talking. Some people don't. It really is different for all of us, right? And totally. yeah, just trying to reassure that like you're not doing anything wrong. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> doing things quietly, you know? Yeah. But yeah, like what were some of the biggest responses you saw once the game came out? Oh my God. It was really honestly kind of overwhelming. We we didn't think the game would have as big of a reach as it did. And um I think a lot of it was, I mean, most of it was very positive and that was really nice. And I think a lot of the negative critiques were less about the subject matter and more just about the game itself. Um, It is very, you know, it is a walking sim. It's very linear. (laughs) And I think a lot of people were 
kind of, um, you know, a little like frustrated that it wasn't more of like a simulator, like a business simulator, or there wasn't more um, branching narratives or whatever. And that, I think those are valid criticisms as to, you know, yeah. want something that's a bit more of a game. And I think those games are, you know, are valid, but I think the game design also like reflects what you're trying to put into it. So if we had made it a business simulator, then the game is less about, you know, a quiet uh, reflection of grief and more like a capitalist <laughs> um or maybe even like a um like a satirical satirical capitalist game or mm -hmm. you know like um oh, what's that game called it's like oh my god it's killing me there's another game that came out shortly after mortician's tale uh graveyard keeper oh. and um it's like a very like tongue-in-cheek like you're running a medieval graveyard um and it's that game is you know, it uses the mechanics of burial and, you know, taking care of bodies to, in, in more of like a cheeky, like making money way. And um, I think that's valid, but it's also like not the thing we were trying to say or sure. do. I can understand the title change a lot more now from exactly. simulator to tail. I feel like there's a very distinct tonal difference there. For sure. And that's a big thing we thought about was like, okay, this... A, I think also simulator around that time, when you think about like goat simulator yeah. or surgery simulator or whatever, yeah. those are all very like goofy, funny, and Mortician's Tale is not. <laughs> so we're like, okay, this cannot be a simulator game. It has to be something different. It is very linear. It's very story-based. Let's call it Tale. And I think that kind of sells the game more towards the intended audience. Um, so yeah, I think there was some like very valid criticism about the game, but I think overall it was very positive. We had a lot of people you know that would message us with their own kind of personal stories about how the game really resonated with them or you know after the game came out people would message us like i still get messages now it's been like whatever six seven years math um <laughs> and people will still message me and say like hey um this game was really helpful to me when i experienced a death like i was able to make decisions for my loved ones because I of what I learned in the game um which was really heartwarming to hear um I've had a few people few people tell me that they decided to go to school for mortuary studies because of the game wow um which is very cool as well um yeah it just seemed like it had a really personal impact on a lot of people um which is really, you know, very, very comforting. And there's been a few game developers as well that have been like, hey, we really were inspired by your game. Um, the team that made Venba, which uh, came oh. out last year, they are also based in Toronto. And I remember meeting them at an event and they were like, hey, we were really inspired by Mortician's Tale, um, which is so such an honor because Venba is such a beautiful, beautiful game. It's oh, one of my yeah. favorite games of last year. And so to hear that, you know, people have had such a positive influence from the game it really means a lot you know in all sorts of ways and um and again like i just i didn't realize uh the topic was so like interesting for people you know mm -hmm. i was really worried that it'd be like extremely niche and i think it still is but you know it's less niche than i thought it was you know? yeah i saw you did that uh gdc talk about uh, creating a game that you knew was going to be niche Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um I think I did a talk at Full Indie Summit. 
Oh, was it not GDC? I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. I've done. No, no, it's okay. I've done so many talks. Uh, They all kind of blend together. But Mm -hmm. I did a talk somewhere about marketing niche video games. And um, I don't know how helpful it is. But um, yeah, it was interesting, like finding the audience. And it's also like a different world now, like back in 2016, 2017, you know, Twitter was the thing everybody used twitter mm-hmm. um it was very easy to like post a screenshot and have thousands and thousands of people see it and that you know i know people that got like publishing deals because a uh, tweet would do really like their game would sell well on twitter you know wow. and we're kind of not in that era <laughs> we haven't been in that era for a while we're especially not in that era in um elon musk x yeah um, <laughs> I feel like social media is so displaced now. There isn't mm-hmm. like one specific platform where everybody who makes games and in- are interested in games is congregated like Twitter used to be. Right. And I think like when Twitter started splitting, you saw people go to Mastodon or um, Co-host or Blue Sky. And I feel like those three just like are not anywhere near as big as twitter and so but to continue use twitter using twitter is like also very difficult because yeah um for a lot of reasons but (laughs) i just think that like it's a very different world now than it was back in like 2016 um and so i think that like if i was going to do a a marketing and niche game talk nowadays i I have no idea i have no idea how to (laughs) tiktok maybe but (laughs) that's a different kind of platform than um than twitter is you know and can i ask you a question Um, yeah of course so you are a voice actor yeah do you find um because your work is so not really based on a screenshot it's more based on like voice and video um do you find that voice actors are more prominent on like youtube tiktok instagram reels Um, or is it yeah. Okay. I mean, for my own purposes, I primarily use Instagram and Reels. Mm. I know I have friends who have found a lot of success on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure about YouTube, but definitely, yeah, one of those short video platforms. Yeah, I think that's interesting, and that makes a lot of sense. And also, like, it's we've seen like some games content pivot towards tiktok but i feel like it's like just a whole new ball game oh yeah you know video content is a completely different um set of skills and like Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know time time um constraints or um there's more time involved with making video content than there is like posting a screenshot on twitter you know and definitely yeah it's very very curious to see how social media goes for for game developers um going forward absolutely after Mortician's Tale, you were working on Celeste. How did that come about? I think I was working on Celeste, Mortician's Tale, and Super Crush KO all at the same time. Wow. <laughs> like I was freelancing on Celeste and Super Crush KO and also working on Mortician's Tale. There was a time where I was working on way too many things. <laughs> I also had my own podcast. I also was volunteering. I also was doing X, Y, and Z. And I ended up just like burning out. So I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, I, I became friends with Maddie and Noel and Heidi and all of them through Twitter. This is, again, like 
that the benefit of using Twitter back in like 2015 was you're actually able to like talk with people and see their posts. And we became friends over the internet. And I was a really big fan of Towerfall, which was their previous sure. game that they all worked on together. And then um, I had done a bit of 3D work at that point, and they were looking at um, hiring another artist to bring onto the team, uh, specifically who had some 3D experience. And, and they reached out to me, and I ended up working with them. Um, and yeah, that, you know, I think again, like, I, I feel like modern day game developers are really missing out on that community. I, I maybe they're not, maybe they, that, that community, that Twitter community has moved somewhere else. Maybe it's like discord or right. wherever, but yeah, it was, there was this era of all these indies kind of working on each other's games, you know, and, um, very fortunate to have worked on Celeste. It was a very fun project. Um. Also, like, very, you know, beautiful and moving and oh, yeah. so, so queer, you know, and that team's mm -hmm. also very queer and it's uh, really wonderful to work with other, like, fellow queer people. Um, and their, yeah, their creative process is so fun because they're very, um, very trusting in each other. So, you know, I came on the project and I was like, okay, um, what am I doing? And they were like, okay, we need, um, uh, okay, let's see, we need, we need a 3D map for the game. We're thinking it's going to be like this game. Um, here's some of the rough ideas we have. Go nuts. And I'd be like, okay, well, um, <laughs> okay, so for the temple, what do you think the temple looks like? They're like, whatever, whatever you think it might look like. I was like, oh, okay. Wow. So they like put so much trust in me. Um, and that was very like deeply honoring because, you know, I was pretty new to 3D at that point. And so for that whole team to be like, yeah, whatever you think or whatever, that's cool. Um, how about these colors? Cool. Like they were so just trusting in my work and my ability. And um, yeah, that's really cool. And I, I feel like, you know, most other um, game developers I've worked with, it's not that they're not trusting, but there is a bit more of like direction from the art director or whoever's in charge of the game. And sure. I feel like the Celeste team was very, I don't want to say flat hierarchy because they do, you know, obviously like have directors, but um yeah, it was just very cool to to be given such like a chance like that, and and then the game blew up in a way like we didn't expect. <laughs> oh so, yeah, that's what Heidi was saying. Yeah, and so that was very cool, and um, I'm really excited. I, I don't I'm not working with them anymore. I'm working at my current uh, studio full time, but you know, I visited Vancouver earlier last year, and uh, I got to hang out with them, and they showed me a bit of Earthblade, and it's mm. just so cool and so really excited for that really excited for for that game and what they're working on and yeah just really lovely really lovely team it's very cool to like work in games and meet people and work with them and you know for the most part I, I, at least for my experience everyone has been so so lovely and chill and um it's kind of like a very stark contrast to when i was working in mobile games <laughs> oh, and everyone yeah. was kind of very like well, it was not as nice, I would say, as working mm. in indie games. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And then your current place, Drinkbox, another mm -hmm. super talented studio. I feel like with every one of their games, they have such a distinct, unique visual style that isn't like anything that's come before. And so 
I'm wondering sort of when you joined the team making nobody, what was their sort of guiding principles that they had there? Um, So I've been a big fan of Drinkbox for a long time. I I loved the Guacamelee games. I loved Severed. Mm. Um, And there were a few times when I was freelancing where they would reach out to ask me to work with them. And the timing just never worked out. I was always busy with another project. And so when they were looking for a full-time artist around the end of 2019, um, I they reached out to me and I was like, I have to say yes to this. Like, I just, I so badly want to work with this team. And so I ended up leaving freelancing and taking on a full-time job at Jinkbox, which I think was also like a really important step because I was so burnt out <laughs> at that point from working on so many games at the same time. Sure. Um, so taking on a full-time job at Drinkbox was such a dream because it was like, I get to focus on one game at a time, but also they're such masters at um, just art and making games that feel good. And it was such a cool experience and like still is a very cool experience working with them and just seeing what their um, creative process is like, because like you said, Nobody Saves the World is very different art style than what we've done, or what, they, what they've done previously. Mm. And um, it was really cool getting direction from the then art director um, and the concept artist, uh, now art director, Augusto Quijano, who their biggest thing was like, hey, we want to make this game um, feel like... Um, like a gross Saturday Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> it's oh. like the, the direction we went in. And yeah, it was really fun. It was really fun. Um, kind of like all working towards this style. And, you know, as the characters would improve, the environments would improve. And as the environments would pr- improve, the characters would improve. And then the UI would improve. Like it kind of all moves together and um that was really fun i've learned a lot since working there and we're currently working on a new game unannounced and Ah. can't say too much about it but i will say that the art style our style is also very different from anything we've ever done before and so it feels like every new game we work on it's just a completely different style and i feel like i'm learning so much with every game and um i'm really excited to be able to share it with people because I feel like people are going to really like it, especially the art. So um, that's exciting. Also, I know nobody saves the world. It came out a couple years ago, but it's had a bit of a resurgence now. It just came out on PlayStation Plus, mm-hmm. and there was that big new update you guys just did. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um. Yeah. It was nobody saves the world was such like a surprise for us because. It is, I think we've talked about this publicly, so I, I will say it. Um, it is the best-selling game that we have of all time. Oh, wow. Like it, it outsold, like, both Guacamelees combined wow. <laughs> within, like, the first few months. It did really well, and we were so surprised because I feel like it's such a, a weird game, right? Mm-hmm. It's, the progression is very, it's not based off of, like, experience points. It's points, it's based off of, um, like, uh, quests tied to each form and so you know um i think it has a very dedicated audience and um you know we put out a few updates we put out uh one uh two years ago and then one last year which was like a free update we did um which was very fun it was like a like an endless dungeon like roguelike update and so people could have a reason to keep playing the game um 
and play with those forms and experiment with those forms and mixing matching their abilities and um yeah that the the we sorry um <laughs> it recently coming out on PlayStation Plus um we're seeing like a new audience or like more of the similar audience and yeah it's just kind of cool to see people enjoying this game that we didn't think was going to be as interesting or like as popular as guacamole you know and um yeah it's been really fun um seeing that reaction and seeing people's uh like mixing matching forms and what mm -hmm. they're doing with them it's been very cool that's so great and yeah then you mentioned a little bit earlier on the side that you had a podcast of your own you had the play dead podcast where you spoke to a lot of very uh, big, prolific game developers about their work and about death. And I was wondering, yeah, what did that experience teach you? That, yeah, that was really fun to work on. Um, I It was around the same time I was working on Mortician's Tale. And um, I just was so much passion and curiosity about video games and death, like the intersection of the two. And so... I wanted to talk to other developers about it and kind of a similar thing to making Mortician's Tale. I was just really surprised in like a good way about how many developers wanted to talk with me about it and were like very happy to talk with me about it and talk about their own experiences with grief and death and how that ex how that shaped their own games. And yeah, it was just really, um, it was very cool, very cathartic to kind of hear people have similar experiences and seeing how that affects their games and that's probably the the the, the number one thing i learned um but also you know and I, I i know you know this well um running a podcast is a lot of work yeah <laughs> <laughs> a lot of editing it's a lot of you know like managing um people and schedules and totally making sure everyone's sound sounds okay and like yeah it's a ton of work and so you know i ended up um not doing it. I did it for a couple of years and then kind of stopped doing it just because it was just so much work on top of my my freelance work and um but yeah I kind of miss it. It was really it's also like a really nice excuse to like talk with other developers and you know yeah. Yeah I was just thinking today this is like the one excuse I have to talk with people about video games in general because <laughs> none of my friends are really gamers so this is where I get to exercise that passion hell yeah um on that topic have you been playing any games recently any games yes that you're last about? night I just finished bomb rush cyberfunk <gasps> nice I haven't played it yet I've oh heard it's, it's so really good. good that's like my game of the year hell yeah okay I will I will pick it up um where are you playing it like what on playstation 5 Okay, cool. I saw it was on Switch and I was like, I don't know. Like, does it run well on the Switch? Yeah, that's. But... <laughs> I was skeptical. So I figured I just usually, unless it's a game I have to have portably, I opt for PlayStation. Yeah, maybe I'll do the same thing then. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm really excited because now that I've finished that, I'm finally going to start uh, God of War Valhalla. Oh, yeah. I've heard Very that's cool. fantastic. What about you? Um, I... Um, during the holidays, played Dredge, which oh, came out last year. Oh, I heard that was amazing. I loved it. It is so good. Um, I ended up 100%ing it on PlayStation 5 because <laughs> I just ended up loving it so much. It's, yeah, this really, like, perfect, um, 
combination of like cozy fishing game and like scary eldritch horror i don't know it, it shouldn't work and it does it works very well i highly recommend it I'll definitely look into it next. Yeah, I'll switch. I'll switch with you. I'll check out Okay. Bond or Cyberpunk. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Report back. <laughs> then, uh, pretty recently, I saw you posted you have your own personal game in the works. Yeah. Um, so I, on top of working at Drinkbox, um, I've been prototyping um, a brand new game just on my own. Uh, it's <laughs> surprise. It's also about cemeteries, and mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, for a long time um, after Mortician's Tale, I was so burnt out um, just working on too many things at once. And when I started working at Drinkbox, it was like a nice break. Like I just was only working on Drinkbox games during the day and not working on anything at nighttime. And over the last couple of years, I've had this itch to like make my own thing. And um, it's been a thing that I hope I put out this year. We will see. Um, but it's, yeah, um, cozy game about cemeteries. And it's something I'm programming all by myself, which is also really exciting because, you know, I'm very new to programming and it's such like a, a fun feat to get something, like to figure out something yourself and get it in the game. Like it just feels so different than like putting art in the game, you know, like different kinds For of sure. problem solving. and. Yeah, so that's been like a fun thing I've been chipping away at um, on my own time. Um, yeah, hopefully I have more to say about it um, later this year. But it is another game about death and it will be a walking sim. So okay, <laughs> very, <awesome>. very similar. <laughs> I have a type of game I like making apparently. Yeah, there's a big thing out here in LA. I don't know if you've visited and heard of it, but... There's this group that shows movies at a cemetery. Oh, is it? Um, um, oh, my God. Synestia. Okay, cool. It's called, yeah. Very cool. Um, I have not heard of that. I was going to say Hollywood Forever Cemetery, but I think that's just yeah. a cemetery. Yeah, I think that's what where it is. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, that's really sick. I have not been to L.A. Uh, for a while, but that's not true. I went to Disneyland, but I guess oh, that's... Fun. Is that LA or is that outside of LA? Yeah, it's well, yeah, it's in LA County, I feel like. Okay, yeah. Um but next time I go to LA, I'll definitely check that out. That's very cool. Yes. Yeah, I'll do Disneyland again and then I'll do the cemetery. It'll be like a <laughs> cozy hand in hand uh, Exactly. <laughs> that was all the questions I had for you, Gabby. Was there anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. I think we, we covered everything. Um, I really appreciate you asking me about my, my new project. Um, yeah, of course. I forgot that I even posted about that. So that's very <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, before, you, before we say goodbye, before we say goodbye, can I say really quickly, um, I love your voice. I don't know if that's a what? weird thing to say. Oh, no. Yeah. You have wow, a great thank voice. You. I knew you were a voice actor and I listened to your episode with Heidi recently. But yeah, you have a great voice. Um, so I'm very glad that you're, you're working as a voice actor because you have the perfect, perfect oh fit for God, it. Oh my God. Thank you so much. That, that made my day. Oh, great. <laughs> Good. Happy to hear it. Yeah. The, oh my, I, I have to vent a little bit. So there was a period of time where I was posting the podcast on YouTube and I was like, as you said, you know, doing all the ancillary stuff for the podcast is just too much. I got burned mm -hmm. out about it, but I was like editing together gameplay footage of 
the game that people were talking about and doing all this like motion graphic stuff. And anyway, that's beside the point because I uploaded a podcast to YouTube and I got this whole one paragraph comment about how awful somebody thought my voice was. Ew. Yeah. That's so shitty. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Thank you. It was like a whole that's... paragraph. Jesus. Yeah. Get a hobby. Exactly. Um, <laughs> like, oh my God. Okay. Well, I heartily disagree with them. That is. Thank you. That's really awful. <laughs> yeah. But in more fun news, uh, let me ask this is the Pixel Pizza podcast. Gabby Darienza, where is your favorite pizza place? That is such a good I love that as a as a question. Um okay. Oh, I have so many answers. Um in Toronto, there's this place called North of Brooklyn Pizza. And they have a few locations um specifically in the back of bars. So, I don't know if this is just Toronto or if it's Ontario or Canada, but Toronto at least has this law where you can't just have a bar. Your bar also has to have food. Oh. And so a lot of the reason with a lot of a lot of the ways bars get around this is they'll have like a stale bag of chips from five years ago behind the bar. <laughs> so that if someone comes and like tries to investigate, they can legally say we have food here. <laughs> but there's a couple bars in Toronto that have a North of Brooklyn pizza in the back of their bar. And they sell like just it's just really good pizza. Really good pizza. Um and it's just such a combo to go to a bar with your friends and uh, play arcade games and have like a, a pint of beer or a cocktail oh, yeah. or whatever. And then also just like really good pizza. Um, and so they make a pizza. I forget what it's called, but it's a like uh, a white pizza. So no tomato sauce with ricotta and um, ricotta and arugula and like mm. a garlic butter on top and normally i'm not like a white pizza person but yeah. oh it's so good it's so good so that's my very long winded answer for you <laughs> no that's i i'm like envisioning the whole scene it sounds amazing <laughs> that's great so then thank you so much again for joining me gabby thank you so much for having me this was a this is a very fun uh interview and yes. very fun conversation. Very fun conversation. So where can people keep track of you and your work? I'm on all social media at Gabby Darienzo. I'm using Twitter less and less these days, but um, with the new game coming out, maybe I'll start <laughs> begrudgingly mm -hmm. using it again. Um, but yeah, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Blue Sky. I'm everywhere. Yeah. Awesome. Then we'll head off with one more track from our chiptune artist of the week vim and that is called autumn weather so chill out to that one we'll see you next week with another pixel pizza